Welcome. Glad you guys could be here. And so here's the deal. When you come and visit someplace, usually they make you stand up and they say, oh, who's a visitor? But that's really lame, isn't it? So we're not going to do that. But we are a church family and we want our visitors to feel welcome. So we want you to feel comfortable to sit down and then those who are from branches can greet you or you can just ignore them when they say hey and they, they understand how that works. So greet each other however you want, but you have full permission to sit down. We'll get started here in a sec. It's going to be awesome. So, Boog? Are we supp- we're supposed to be. Boog? The kids are going to come up now. Or, no, after that. After that. Okay, cool. You guys sound great. I got it. Yeah. So, wait. Oh, holy night is right now. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the service is happening right now. <laughs> Hello. Okay, so we are going to um, we are going to do a centuries-old tradition of passing out candy canes to the kids. So if there is a kid, we need you to point to the kid. And we know what some of you are going to do. There's going to be no kid around you, and you're going to raise your hand. You're welcome to do that after all the kids have it. So we have a few of the kids that are going to wander around, and they need you to have your hand up until the candy cane gets to a particular child. The reason we do that is um, the history of the candy cane, like, you know, there's all these really spiritual reasons why they made the candy cane. The reason they made it is because they didn't used to have kids ministry. They used to do it like this. So like on a normal Sunday, we have kids club and we have different rooms where kids are at. But on Christmas Eve, we want to do it us all together. So kids are with us. Well, you can imagine in the old days how long church was. The kids are like, really? What? And they'd start getting nuts. And so some confectionery, which is a fancy word for your candy cane maker or candy maker, created the candy cane so that the kids could then suck on the candy cane, and then they didn't care how long it was. So that's what the candy canes are for. So that's the tradition, and we're sticking with it. All right, so please make sure that a child near you um, gets one. Um, and I know you may think that the same girl keeps coming around over and over, but actually they're triplets. And so it's not the same girl coming around over and over again. So you're going to need this because this has the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. So if you could grab that. And we have been, uh, as a church family, we have been looking at Christmas for what it is. It is really and should be a Jewish holiday. It should be a Jewish celebration because it is the fulfillment of prophecies, promises to the Jewish people. And so we have looked at it from that angle, and I am going to finish with that tonight. And you may be looking at this going, what? We're really going to go through the genealogy? Oh, yes. And I think you might actually be stoked about it. We'll see. I'm not going to take any votes afterwards, but we'll see how we do that. Um, what you need to know about this before we start is that one of, uh, a couple of the promises that God made was, look, there will be a Messiah. There will be the Son of God. The Divine One, the Anointed One will come. And He, and this is important to understand, He will come through the seed of Abraham, which means He'll be a descendant of Abraham, which is the father of the Jewish nation, and also through David, King David. Okay, so if you've got that, you'll be able to track with where we're going from here. So a man named Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, and I, for, for us to see this correctly, I want you to imagine one of his friends. 
Okay, so let's say I'm writing a letter. I'm writing this little book. I'm, I'm coming up with it. I'm, I'm getting all excited to, to write it. I'm going to have somebody else look at it, aren't I? And so I can imagine this guy talking to Matthew. We'll call him Tim. Okay, so Tim, and I totally made that up. There's no biblical Tim that I know of that talked with Matthew. So walk with me here. So Tim talks to Matthew and goes, you know what? You've been telling me all these stories about Jesus. You should write these things down. Yeah, you know that story that you were talking about, about wise men? You should write that down. Hey, you know that story about like Mary? and You need to write that down. You know that story about the leper? You should put that in there. You know the, the story about the criminal? Yeah, you should put that in there. All, you should put this in there. You should put the, and so then he says, probably, you know what? You got to put the genealogy, man, because that's a big deal to us as Jewish people. You know how that is. And since you're writing this book to the Jewish people, you got to make sure you let them know that it came through through Abraham, and you got to also let them know that it came through King David, because that was the promise, right? So show that, prove it. Take the family tree, trace it back, and show them. So he does it, he finishes it, and he hands it to him. And then I want you to look at your paper right now, okay? Grab your paper, because this is what Tim is going to see. He's going to see those four ladies, and he's going to go, are you for real right now? Really? You put them in there? We're Jews. We never put women in genealogy. And if we did, why are you putting those four? Three of them aren't even Jewish. Matthew has a reason for why he did this. Matthew has a reason because, well, let's look at it. Okay, I'm going to show you the first lady. Her name is Tamar. Okay, now this is, this is PG-13 rated R stuff. So I'm going to be speaking in code. All right? And I'm expecting you to understand the code. And if you don't, sorry. Okay, so Tamar was married. And the guy she was married to had three brothers, right? This is in Genesis. Those are birds, by the way. So if you think it's some kid that's yelling, that's the parrot trying to copy what I'm saying. It's just a way for, you know, repetition will help you to catch what I'm saying. So Tamar has a husband, but he dies. Well, it's part of Jewish culture at this time that if your husband dies, that in that family, they've got to make sure that his descendants, his inheritance goes somewhere. So one of the brothers has to marry her so that she'll have a child. Well, the next brother in line, he dies. Okay, so then she, the, the next uh, brother says, okay, I'll marry you. Then he marries and he dies. So Judah, the dad, is like, okay, I'm losing all my sons here. I can't, I can't give her my last son, but I'm going to tell her I am. And so he lies to her. And so she goes... And knows that this isn't going to happen. So she goes and dresses like a woman of the oldest profession. Code. So she dresses like that and she covers her face and she's on the road where he usually walks. And she, she covers herself and she's out there. And so he walks by and decides to see if they can work out an agreement. So they work out an agreement and the agreement is a goat. Okay. All right. For a goat. Sounds good. Now, she's covered this whole time, and I guess she's using a weird voice or something. He doesn't recognize her. She says, give me your ring and give me your staff so that I know that you're going to be good for your work. So he leaves. Um, she ends up conceiving at this moment. Um, he leaves, and she doesn't wait for the goat to come back. She takes off with the ring and the staff. And so then when it, they're found out in their family, when it's found out, that she's pregnant, then they go take her to kill her because that's also part of the Jewish law. And as they're going to kill her, she takes the ring and she takes the staff and she says, give this to Judah and let him know that this belongs to the man who has made me pregnant. And then Judah finds out. That's not the type of thing that Tim's like looking at Matthew going, really? 
you're putting this in there? Like, it's just like, that's just not the way it was supposed to be. And we've got this woman in there, and she dresses like, you know what? And then they've got this going. I mean, it's just freaky. Why are you putting this in there? Then we get to the next lady, Rahab. Also of the oldest profession. And she's in the city of Jericho. And this is when Joshua is coming in to overtake Jericho. So he sends two spies in. The spies come in. They end up staying at her house. And then when they find out that two spies have been there, they come to the lady and they go, hey, you've got some guys here. We think they're spies. Where are they? She goes, they're not here. Why did she do that? Because she told the men this. She goes, we know. We know that you people of Israel are the people of God. And we know that your God is real. In fact, all the people, when we heard you were coming to attack us, our hearts just melted within us. Not because we're afraid of you, but because we're afraid of your God. Because we know that he is real. We know he's the one true God and that he's with you. And so they made a promise with her that when they did come and invade, that they would um, save her and her family. Then we get to another lady, Ruth. Now, Ruth, she's a pretty good lady. Still a lady. And Timothy's not probably excited about this. Tim's like, really? I mean, yeah, it's Ruth, but like, seriously? She's a woman. And you know what? She's a Moabite. She's not even Jewish. Like, you keep putting these people in here that aren't Jewish. What are you doing? Ruth was, hey, ladies, how you doing? Sup? Just want to be real close? You're going to get your show here in a little bit, Tay. What are you doing? The Christmas play? Okay, how about I just talk for 10 more minutes? Cool, okay, I'll talk. How about less? 30? No. <laughs> make her stand up? Okay, I'll make you a deal. You sit down, and that way I can concentrate, because I'm having a hard time doing it, and then in seven minutes, we'll be in the middle there, in seven minutes, I'll be done. Okay? Matt here's going to take track of it, right? Seven minutes? Actually, I do know seven minutes, because I don't have, I have any idea. I could go for 30. So you'll give me the... The plane is crashing symbol. So we have Ruth. Ruth is, um, she's a Moabite, and she is married to this man, and the man's mom is Naomi. Well, he's got a brother. She has a sister-in-law, so Ruth has a sister-in-law. She has a brother-in-law, her husband, Naomi, and her father-in-law. Well, the father-in-law dies. The two other men die, and then it's just Naomi, Ruth, and her sister-in-law. That's all that's left. And so how are they going to survive? And so Naomi says, look, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. I'm going to go back there. Does that sound familiar? Bethlehem? I'm going to go to Bethlehem because I, I have family there. That way I can survive because I'm, I'm a widow. And so are you. You should probably go to your people. And she says, no, I will never leave you. And she says these famous words, your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die. Where you are buried, I will be buried. And this woman ends up being the grandmother of King David. Now let's get to our last lady. Here in verse 6, Uriah's wife. So Timothy is like, wait, you're going to talk about her? You don't even like her, Matthew. You know how we know that he doesn't like her? Because he doesn't even use her name. He just says, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. He doesn't even say her name, which is Bathsheba. He just says that. We all know who she is. Matthew definitely knows who she is, but leaves her name out. Why? Briefly, I want to tell you the way it's set up. What happened was, is Bathsheba decided to go up on her roof while her husband was away at war and to sunbathe. 
which sounds normal here in Southern California, but you don't do that in the Middle East, ever. Like, you're covered. You cover your body the entire time. And so the way it's set up where her house is, because I actually got to go to Israel and be at, um, they unearthed it recently, um, where his, King David's palace was. And so I got to sit on his porch and look down and see all these other houses. So if you're going to go up on the roof, and you're going to do what no Middle Eastern lady does and take off her clothes and sit there on the top, guaranteed the people that are wealthy that have the two stories or the three stories or the king who's right there are going to see everything that's going on. And so Matthew, a full-on conservative Jewish man, will not even put her name in because he probably looks at this as if you knew what you were doing the whole time. But yet, still puts her in this story. She ends up conceiving. King David goes into damage control. He's like, oh my gosh, she's married. What am I going to do? Okay, I know what I'll do. I'll have him killed while he's a battle. Has him killed. The child ends up dying. And then in Psalm 51, we hear David just going, what was I doing, Lord? I am a sinful man. Have mercy on me. So why? Why put these ladies in here? I think Timothy probably sat down with Matthew and said, you got to explain something because if you're going to go to print with this, like we've got to talk about this because I think I, this is the Savior. If we're going to talk about Jesus the Savior, shouldn't we make his family tree just look spotless? Like you could have easily left them out. We don't even put women in our genealogies. Why did you do this? I think this is probably why. I want you to notice that he included both men and women in the genealogy. There were 40 men and these four ladies. I want you to also notice that in this genealogy, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. If you don't know what a Gentile is, it's anyone who's not a Jew, which means he's including people of the Jewish faith and people on the outside. There are amazing people in there, Ruth being one of them. There are saints in there, and then there are sinners. And yet they all played a part. All of them played a part in God's plan. Think about that. These are the type of people that God came to save. That's why they're in the genealogy. To remind us from the very beginning, this is who God came to save. And you'll notice that we have kids staying here. And so kids, I want you to hear this right now. We didn't want to put you and have you in the back rooms like we've done before. because We wanted you to be here to hear this. No matter what you do in your life, no matter what bad things you do, some of you might have maybe opened some of the presents and seen them, and then you closed them up, and you didn't tell your mom or dad, and you know you shouldn't have done it, and you're like, oh, I did something bad. God still loves you. Some of you in the future will do things much worse than that. We all have. I'm a pastor. I've done lots of bad things. Yet, God can work with our mistakes and our failures. And because he's God, he can do the amazing and create something beautiful. He did it out of these four ladies. And so I want you to know, children and big children, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing, ever. And so if anybody ever tells you you need to good, do good things, you better do good things so that God loves you. They are lying. That is not the truth. 
God gives us commandments. He gives us wisdom. He says, follow me, obey me, because he loves us. And if we disobey him, there are consequences to that. But that's the consequence of us making mistakes and not trusting him. But God will always love you. And he's begging for you to turn and to come back. So what we're putting together right here is the story. Hi, Mary or Karina. I don't know which one you're going by right now. But as we put them into place, I want you to notice a few things. This mixture on that night was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, of saints and sinners, of men and of women, and a few cows and lambs mixed in there as well. And in this story and in your story, if you remember anything tonight, I want you to remember this. God makes flowers bloom with fertilizer. And when you look through this genealogy, you're going to see a lot of fertilizer. I'm using code words here. There's a lot of stuff. And God is in the business of making the beautiful out of fertilizer. Tonight, I know you're upset with somebody. It's family night, right? Know that God can make the beautiful out of that situation as well. Whatever situation you're going through, God can make fruit bloom out of that. So we're going to have the children sing a song for you. Um, we have created a special area so that parents will not brawl and fight. This is the photo area over here. So if you're back there with your little iPhone, we all know they're not going to come out. So you, you can go to the back and around, and there's a little path for you to come up as close as you need to be, and then you can take uh, photos. We only ask that you be loud and cheering when they're done singing.
All right, you guys ready? Ready. Ready. Here we go. Here we go. Great job, guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, we're going to bring the mics back up. So the last two songs we're going to do are... Um, One's a traditional Christmas song that's um, my personal favorite, so I guess I'm being a little bit selfish, but it's really, really good, and talks about um, the night of Christ's birth, and then the next one after that is um, a non-traditional Christmas song, but it's a worship song, so we're kind of thinking of meditating on Christ being born, and then the praise that follows. One second, we'll get these mics set up. Yeah, let's do another round for the kids. Good job, guys. Woo! Look at those angels. <laughs> so good. Oh, ho. 
Could you please uh, stand up? You should have a candle with you. And the reason that we do the candlelight, and we're going to do that during this last song, the reason we do that is because uh, Jesus is the light of the world. And because he came, all that was dark can now be light. And so as um, we light that, don't be just so focused on, I got to get this lit and lit. Like, think about the symbolism of what this means. So I will light one, and then we will just pass it from there. So this will be our final song, and then uh, Shane will come up afterwards and share with you.
I am a liar because I said Shane was going to come up. But there's something I wanted to share. First thing we need to do um, is warn you, please do not light anybody's hair on fire and do not touch the hay. <laughs> Shane's a fireman. He's going to share that, so I'm taking that part for him. Um, we have a friend that's in Pakistan, and we're talking about the light of the world and, and what God does out of a mess. And um, it is pretty much illegal to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus in Pakistan. And um, in Peshawar, in September, there was a bombing at a church that he was supposed to speak at. His uh, daughter was sick with leukemia, and he couldn't get there, so they had someone else come and speak. And two uh, people came up and blew themselves up at the church while they were worshiping. And at least 80 were killed, and people are still, uh, this pastor still goes up with a team of people to care for people that are there. And he asked us to pray for that church. Uh, it's All Saints Church. He asked us to pray for them and the people that are still suffering. But he also asked us to pray for this, the people that did it, uh, the Taliban who did it. He has been asking us to pray for him. And so I want you to ask, I want to ask you to join me in prayer for him because he and a bunch of people from that area who were bombed are taking Bibles and they are heading up to the north where the Taliban are to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. The same people that bombed them, they said, look, the Taliban need to know that Jesus came for them also. We have to go tell them. We know it's dangerous and we are sad, but we still need to go to them. How does that happen? You know, we take this candle, we light it, we pass it around, we talk about being the light of the world. That is the light that we're really talking about because that's what God does in our hearts when we follow him. So please join me in prayer as we pray for them. Father, I pray for Iftikhar and his, uh, his many friends and those who are mourning who are traveling many miles to the north right now to share this good news during Christmas. Father, we hear that and it is overwhelming, but it really shouldn't be that overwhelming to us when we think about you and what you've done for centuries. Father, you are the light of the world. We ask that you would make that more real to us, as real to us as it is to Iftikhar and his friends. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So if you could, please blow it out. Don't put your hand on it. Don't try to be tough. And we want to wish you a Merry Christmas. So please have an amazing Christmas. Hug your family. Give them a candy cane. Um, for those who are part of Branches, if you could stay a little bit just to help us clean up, that'd be great. All visitors, we understand. Please go and do what you got to do. Eat all of your, uh, your pie and candy.